Blog Talk Radio. Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. The Unstoppable Ones. You did say unstoppable, right? Yeah? You did say unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on the Mission Unstoppable. stop these people? Good evening. I am the Unstoppable Coach, Frankie Picasso, and we are having a little bit of technical difficulty. My caller is on hold, and I'm trying to find her, and I can't see her anywhere. I'm going to try a new feature here, and I think that's probably been uh, one of the problems here, that we have a lot of new features here at Blog Talk Radio, and I am going to see if I can't dial out and call her. So if you guys will just bear with me for one moment, and hopefully I'm going to try the right, hopefully this will be the right number. And if Melissa, if you can hear me, I'm going to be calling you on the uh, 4613. If that's not the right one, please email me and let me know what number to try you at. Uh, but I'm going to try that number right now. For, okay. And let's see if we can't dial and connect. Because nothing like having a, hello, there we go. Okay, we've connected now. There, well, hang on. Hello, Melissa? Oh, wait, we got her here. See if we can get her back. Hello, we got you now, I think. Melissa? Okay, we're just, for some reason, we're done. Oh, hello? Maybe we don't have her. I'm sorry about this. Okay, we're just going to see if we can. The phone is ringing here. I thought maybe we finally got her. Doesn't look like it. Um, okay, uh, this is, you know, technical, live radio, it's all good, right? <laughs> it happens to me. every Once a month it happens to me, that's okay. We're going to see if we can't get her to call back in. I'm just going to give it um, another shot here. It's a new feature, I get to dial out, so you just have to bear with me here, and we'll try her one more time on this and see what's going on. We're just dialing Melissa Gold. Melissa, hi, is that you? Yes. Hi, it's Frankie here. How are you? Sorry we're hey, having Frankie. so many difficulties. <laughs> yeah, I got this crossed with another call completely. I apologize entirely. It's not your fault. It's not your fault at all. There's just been so many changes, technical changes here at Blog Talk Radio, and I tried to call in using a new feature, and then I thought, okay, well, I, you couldn't get on, so I called back using the phone. So let's just get on with the show. How's that? <laughs> Sounds great. Okay, excellent. So let's start again. Uh, I am the Unstoppable Coach. Tonight you are about to go on another mission unstoppable into a world where promises never become regrets and life is what you live in the moment, never wasting or regretting a single second of it. Because tonight my guest is an expert guide and she's well-versed in that do-it-now philosophy of living, celebrating, and experiencing all that life has to offer. After she lost her mother, Hollywood Screen Legend Academy Award-winning actress Ann Baxter in her early 20s, Melissa Gull understood that time is the most precious, non-renewable source we have, and she figured out a way to make every moment count. With a personal mantra that states, limits are for those without imagination, Melissa has embarked on a life of travel and adventure while growing her career, including bungee jumping in New Zealand, hot air ballooning in Africa, and tandem skydiving in North Georgia, parasailing off the South Carolina coast. Stay tuned, stay close. We'll be right back to meet this incredible woman. This is the Unstoppable Frankie Picasso. You are listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio, the live version on Tuesday, June 23rd. The time in Toronto is 8 p.m., 7 in Chicago, 5 in Los Angeles. However, if you're catching us after the fact, I do hope that you feel free to send me your comments or questions. I want to thank the good folks here at Blog Talk Radio for allowing me to broadcast over their network. And I especially want to thank you, you know who you are, for tuning in to me each and every week. I have the phone lines open now and the chat room is as well. I think that there might be a problem with the chat room. Is Oh, no, you guys are in there. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> so that all, that's all looking really good, too. Excellent. Okay. 
Melissa Galt is my guest this evening. She's the author of a new book, Celebrate Your Life, The Art of Celebrating Every Day. She's also a renowned interior designer, popular speaker, business life coach, who truly lives her life in celebration every day. Melissa coaches her clients in the art of celebrating their own lives and careers, and she admits to being inspired and even awed by the stellar success of her late godmother, costume designer to the stars Edith Head, as well as her late great-grandfather, the legendary architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Good evening, Melissa. I'm sorry for the rocky start. I hope that uh, it doesn't foreshadow things to come, and I'm sure we're going to make the best of it. How are you? (laughs) I'm fine, thanks. Excellent. Great. Okay, I wanted to um, first thank you for coming on the show. I also wanted to compliment you, Melissa, on your on your book, Celebrate Your Life, um, especially your voice in the book. I get the feeling when, when we read through the book that you're like a trusted friend. You know, it, it, you're completely honest, and, and it's okay with you're okay with who you are, and you make us feel that it's okay to be ourselves too. It's like we're listening or speaking to a, a sister. Um, you, you speak about your own sisters in the book, and, and it's, it's okay if you don't want to talk to them, and, and that makes us feel like it's okay too. So I, I think that you make us really feel comfortable in your presence. You don't talk down to anybody. You don't make them feel silly or ignorant for not knowing something or being as widely traveled as you. And especially you, you don't you know, make them feel bad if they don't have the finances to experience everything that maybe you can, but you explain things in a, in a, in a way that makes us want to try your ideas and experience something new. So I really want to thank you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure, absolutely. That's great. Um, I also wanted to to ask you, (laughs) after all that, Melissa, how dysfunctional was your life growing up? Really? You know, and and I don't say that in a a disrespectful way, but I know that all of us have things that have marred our our childhoods and our our lives. And, and, you know, you you had your mom and, and, and you had your sisters, but your father wasn't always around. No, my parents divorced when I was, according to my aunt, when I was seven or eight. My last recollection of him was around four or five. Um, he kind of went off to gallivant the world and do his own thing, showed up a couple times a year to, you know, have us in his life for a couple of weeks at a stretch. So he was not visible particularly. Um, my mother was basically a single working parent, gone on average from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. on location working we went on tour with her a couple of times um, growing up and had a tutor that went with us because we were gone during the school year, but we still only saw her for an hour a day. Um, so wow. it was a bit different than, you know, your normal average. And, you know, I really, as a kid growing up, just wanted mommy to stay at home and bake cookies and, and daddy to go to work nine to five. <laughs> it just didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, we all have our troubles to bear. But, but so who was there for you? Who was your trusted confidant? When you were growing up, was um, it your mom or? there wasn't. There, no, there wasn't really one. I would say there was a string of caregivers. Is the best I can call. I can't call them nannies because I don't think they did what nannies do, mm-hmm. and they didn't do housekeeping because pretty much I did the housekeeping. Um, but it, it. I mean, it's. I never really had one person. We had one person until fifth grade. And then she left us when we moved to New York for the year, and that left an amazing hole in our lives because Vivi had been with us since we were, you know, three or four years old and had really kind of been our rock because mom was gone so much. And then Vivi left. I mean, she was just, she didn't like New York. She was unhappy with it. She moved back to California. And we ultimately, you know, followed a year later, but by then she had moved on to other things. Um, so after that, it was really just a string of different, you know, caregivers that moved in and out of our lives. That must have been really tough. I, I had a bit uh, of that myself. <laughs> like yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I thought that hard about it at the time. Right. It, it was. When you said you, you did the housekeeping, when you said you did the housekeeping, does that were you the 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 call giver? Were you the you know the caretaker of everybody? Were you like the mommy? No, the, no, no. It was it was more in terms of. Mother, mother had a thing about teaching us the value of a dollar very early on, and I was the neatnik in the family. So it made perfect sense for her to see if I wanted to clean the house and get paid for it. And oh, okay. it worked out well because, you know, way back when we're talking, you know, 30, I wouldn't say 40 years, probably 30 years ago now or 35 years ago anyway, 
you know, I, I was able to garner a whopping $5 an hour for cleaning the house, and I had her convinced it took me five hours, whereas, in fact, it took me two. So I was a pretty good example with that arrangement. You know, my my mother was, was one of these back-to-nature people before the environment was cool or hip. So okay. if I didn't, you know, step up to that plate, we got sandpaper for towels because she'd stick them out on the line to dry. She didn't use modern conveniences. She didn't operate the dishwasher. You know, there was just just a whole lot that mom wasn't into. Um, yeah, yeah. So I I kind of stepped into that void and said, you know, well, I'll take care of this and I'll take care of that, and, you know, it worked out. Good for you. So you've always been the independent type. Yes. I was independent you- very young and... Many people would probably say I am fiercely independent. So I, I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, <laughs> I Does that mean you're hard to life. live with? <laughs> well, I've never lived with anybody, so I don't know. And I, I say that yeah. because I'm not a big believer in it outside the bonds of marriage. So yeah. I, I have some very, very old-fashioned beliefs. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good, and 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 it's good to stick with your beliefs too. I really like that. I was I was kind of blown away when I read um, something on your site. You said to live life by design, not default. And I said the exact same thing for years in my book. Say, stop living life by default. Start living it by design. So it was really kind of interesting to see that we we had you know figured out the same thing even and and choosing to live the life that you want to live and really and you've done that. Every step of the way, you know, you've, you've decided, you've traveled, you've done, like, amazing things. You, you're a huge risk taker, <laughs> I must say. Well, I'm a, I'm a risk taker because, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Believe me, I have made massive mistakes in judgment at times. I have had very expensive and very painful mistakes I've made, whether it's business or relationships or both. Um, right. You know, what it just comes down to is a decision to keep going. You know, there's a lot of people who would have taken the lessons and and said, forget it. Yeah, Um, but it's it's better to to take that risk anyway. Even with the loss, I feel, even with that that loss, life wouldn't just, you just wouldn't have been living. You would have been playing it safe. And, and you know, it's not exactly living, not not by your celebration of design, I don't think. Well, you know, Mother mother never played it safe. Mother took a lot of risks and a lot of chances, and I, I got that from her. I got her curiosity and her insatiable enthusiasm for life, and I consider those the greatest gifts she could have given me. Absolutely. You're, I said that I loved your book, and I really did love your book. Um, I'm curious, the if I could just read, the, if you don't mind, the, just the very first, just before Chapter 1, there's a quote by by Catherine Deaver, and like it just set the whole tone for this book, and I really love it. Unless you have the book handy and you want to read it, I'd love for you to do that too. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. It was the one about that we have so much to celebrate. Do you have that handy? or? Um, right at the beginning. Okay. Yeah, give me one second. I like to think I've memorized my book, but I can't quite claim that these days. That's okay. You're so busy. <laughs> but there's yeah, something well, about it. I haven't heard that one before. Going on. Yeah. I've got a few things going on. Let me see if I can pull it quickly. That might be a little on the tricky side, but we'll see. What okay, you know what? I'll, I'll say it because I've got it right here. And it, this quote says, we have so much to celebrate. There's a permanent party rocking the universe. We're all standing on one giant revolving dance floor. Get out there, do your thing, and do it well. Dance the dance of life. Let your own unique and beautiful rhythm flow, and all you need is in you. You're already dancing inside now. Just let it show. I just thought that was just such um, a great quote to set the whole tone for this book, because the whole tone is really, um, it is celebratory in big ways and in small ways, and and it's not, you know, oh, you know, life is a party as much as, um, there are things that we can do to encourage us to really live in the moment, really take mm-hmm. you know time for that gratitude, and 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 so you know all of these things that, that you put into your book are, are like that. Some some people ask if we're taking callers, and we are taking callers, and you can call any time that you like, I suppose. I especially love the chapter um, on creativity. Some businesses, you know, I know have CEOs who who have rock bands, or they've opened up craft rooms so that. 
employees can can be more innovative. You know, you stick googly eyes on on popsicle sticks, and but it relaxes you. It lets it lets the creative you know energy flow. Mhm. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Does. I mean, being yeah. being creative is an integral part of life. Most of us forget how to be creative once we've gotten through high school. Well, and you have a now talent it's, for it's a valuable thing to cultivate. <laughs> You know, I, I could tell that you have a real talent for it, not just because you're a designer, but because you talk about, you know, why don't you sell, you know, set aside one big room and, you know, you can have fabrics and you can have, have you know, make, have a craft corner and, and have, you know, all sorts of things in there to encourage your creativity. Now, people who aren't normally creative, you know, wouldn't probably think to do that. Do you have resistance from your clients when you say to do that, and then maybe they've done it and they go, oh, wow, I just love this now? No, I actually don't hit resistance, um, only because most people have a hidden, you know, often hidden childlike side with that sense of wonder that responds really well to craft elements, for lack of a better terminology. And I'm not sure I love the term craft elements, but... Um, things that you can pick up and touch and play with and manipulate in your hands and cut and color, etc. We all have that, even if it's long ago buried. And to be able to pull that out of people, um, I've been in conferences on rare occasion that the leader was so extraordinary because they brought toys to the conference. Uh, And they helped us re-engage that childlike sense of wonder and that core creativity because I think everyone has creativity at their core. Mm -hmm. They just learn to bury it or tame it or, you know, otherwise control it over time. And, And when you can tap back into it, you will really open up the opportunities in your life. I find that, that as adults, you know, when we take up a musical instrument or we, we're going to build something, that we have, a, a, we sort of are afraid, we have this fear of doing things wrong. You know, like we, we, we want to be perfect or not do it at all. So this and idea of opening up our yeah. yeah, go ahead, please. There's there's an important expression that I use a lot in my um, business mentoring and coaching. Mm-hmm. Imperfect action beats perfect mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, that's true. Right. You know, what happens is we get caught in being perfectionists and we actually miss amazing opportunities. I am a recovering perfectionist. Um, Are you a Virgo? <laughs> Now I'm a Libran, which means I have trouble making up my mind on top of everything else. But it's it gets to be really tough because I would miss out on opportunities because I couldn't do something perfectly. I wouldn't try it at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I finally got into my you know late 30s, I suddenly had kind of a few revelations in there, and I was like, "What are you doing?" Your life is is shrinking, and you're acting like somebody who's 90 years old, and you've only got this one life to live. Take a lesson from those that went before you, snap out of it, and start having some fun. And I did, and it made an enormous difference. It really did. I think most people's lives shrink as they get older. Mine has expanded and will continue to expand until I'm no longer here. That's awesome. Somebody said that they're like that too. Like you're like Melissa Howe, like Melissa that you get out and do everything, or you're like her that that your world is shrinking. <laughs> I, you know, I think it's really important. You talk about celebrating with friends. You have a whole chapter on on friends and family and doing things and and nurturing relationships. I think it's really important to nurture relationships, especially you know today as, as divorces are so common and and we we tend to lose friendships with those divorces that we make an effort to really bring friends into our lives and, and 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 it is an effort sometimes to go out and do things with people you don't feel like it anymore you're tired but you have um some really great tips about doing that do you want to maybe talk about some of those things that you you mentioned in your book yeah i think you have to actually create um relationship routines mm-hmm. i think creating routines um around a girl's night out once a month or a guy's night out once a month or a way to do couples activities 
but, you know, you still are going to gravitate. The girls will go to the outlet mall and they'll go hit every boutique in the mall and the guys will go hang out at the Home Depot or the Bass Fisher shop or whatever it is. It's, it's about forming points of connection and leveraging those. My friends have truly replaced my family. And I say replaced because my own family is not close. Um, I speak with one sister about, I don't know, six times a year. The other one I haven't spoken with in 15. We're comfortable with that. That's working for us. So to reach out to friends and to create these, these evenings, these afternoons, um, and spontaneously, you know, make it around the kids on a Saturday and invite everybody over for pizza after the soccer match. Um, you know, it can, you, can, you can split them girls and, and guys. You can have them all mixed up together and do a neighborhood supper club. Um, you can have a night of charades once a month. But the key is to really make it part of your routine because building relationships does need to become part of our healthy celebratory routine for living or we'll miss it. We'll get so caught up in work and we'll get caught in that mindset of there's always tomorrow, there's always tomorrow, there's always tomorrow. And the fact is there isn't. There absolutely isn't. None of us are guaranteed more than the moment we're in. No kidding. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. You have traveled. How many countries do you think you've been to? You've traveled a a lot, haven't you? Um, I think I've been countries, I've probably been in maybe 10, 12, something would like you that. Say, they tend to be very would, far flung and exotic. Yeah, nice. Very nice. Would, would you say that, that your move from the West Coast to the South, let's say, is like, was like moving to another country? Well, I actually moved East first. Oh, okay. And that was, a, that was a tougher move because east to west, when you're a teenager, the language is not even the same. Where did, okay, so where did you start very, and where very did you different. go? Um, you were in California? Well, I, started, I, was, I was in Southern California in Los Angeles growing up, and the mother remarried, and I went to boarding school. I went to boarding school in Massachusetts, and she remarried oh, wow. and moved to Connecticut. Okay, okay. And she loved it there, didn't she, in Connecticut? She did. She loved Connecticut, but then, of course, her she was married for only two years before he passed away, and then she picked up a hotel, the television series, and was bi-coastal because she had to have a place on the West Coast because she was filming all the time. Now, what about you? Were you born in, in Australia, or were, did you live no, there for a while? No, no, I was dad? born in California. I was born in California and taken back to Australia for my first year. Okay, okay. And do you go back there now? Not for not to see anybody. I've been but. back. Um, I've been back once as an adult, and it was a phenomenal experience. I got off the plane in Sydney. A wave of home hit me, the like of which I've never felt before. Wow! And I feel very confident saying that I will have a home in Sydney in the next five to ten years. Isn't that interesting? I always feel that you know when you feel connected like that, it's it's a place you've lived before, another lifetime maybe. Well, and I may have either that or I was so young that it imprinted indelibly on me, which I think could have a lot to do with it, too. Um, But I I love Australia. I think Australia is just phenomenal. The people are incredible. I absolutely revere it. I really do. I'm a a raving fan for Australia. They should post a travel for their their travel ops. (laughs) You feel the energy in the room. Yeah. Okay. I had. A, I have to say, I, and I don't mean to offend any Southerners who are listening, because I, I, you know, I went to high school in Kentucky. But the, I had. I laughed off my, you know, my ass off when I read the chapter about, you know, the macaroni and cheese is a vegetable. <laughs> that was just hilarious. Yes. And that's a just yeah. a great reason to be able to eat it. You know. Yeah. It, I love mac and cheese, and I can't justify it if it's not a vegetable. We, you know, we just, Dan and I just got back from a month-long tour of the U.S. I don't, I think we went to 12 states, can't remember. But I do remember seeing these biscuits in the morning with this goop of glue. It looked like glue. Oh, oh yeah. Gravy. Gravy and biscuits in the morning, yeah. What is that stuff? Yeah, they they do have some unusual customs. I'm not a biscuits gravy person at all. I'm truly, truly, and I don't do grits either. 
Yeah, I really don't. That freaks them all out because because grits to me are just like cream of rice cereal, and the idea of putting cheese on cream of rice cereal does not work for me. So yeah, there there are some unusual unusual foodstuffs here, but you know every corner of the world and every corner of the country has its own. And you know I'm sure in California we were known as the the granola coast. Yeah, you know, we yeah. we were into health food before it was cool. So. You know, I, the South has a lot of virtues. Um, I'm not sure their food is the healthiest, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it no certainly kidding. does taste good. It certainly does taste good. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Your book is filled with affirmations, and and you've included these affirmations. Are, are you? I, I, I'm not, that would be a stupid question. Are you a believer in affirmations? You know, most people are. Um, why did you include them? Because I have found that in addition to visualization, which I think is incredibly important, um, when you can make a habit of affirmations, and I mean a habit out loud, and that's the hardest thing for most people to do because it feels very silly standing there reciting something out loud to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you can truly change your mindset. It, it's literally walking your talk, and your talk needs to be out loud for you to truly internalize it. Um, right. Reading something silently to yourself does not have that level of power. And I also found that um, there was a feng shui practice that I used to employ. I haven't employed it in the last couple of times I'm in. But I would literally write the affirmations on index cards and tape them to the back of selected pieces of artwork throughout my house. Oh, nice. And I, I would like be that. kind of aware of the affirmations surrounding me at all times. Yeah. And it, and it really was very, um, very supportive and a very, a very kind of nurturing private practice because nobody else knew they were there but me. Um, but it, it's sort of one of those layers that you add to your living that, that makes all the difference in the world that nobody else needs to know about but you. I love that idea. I really do. Uh, just to give some folks a, uh, an example, affirmation. My life is richer for the privilege of travel and adventure. I expand my boundaries and limitations with every trip I take. These are just you know positive affirmations, positive words that, that as Melissa said, you're going to say out loud and, and internalize and internalize. And, and this idea, I was very happy to see um, or to read, I should say, in, in the book about meditation, how you used to find struggled with it. Because I think a lot of people struggle with doing it perfectly, doing it right. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you no, let I, us know that it's okay not to. <laughs> any way you do you know, it is the right way. Is, the key with meditation is there isn't a right. There is, there's no wrong way to meditate. You know, it's, yeah. it's what works for you. And I've had different practices over the years, and occasionally I will share them with an interested friend but I'm very careful to suggest that, you know what, this works for me. It may not work for you. It may not resonate with you at all. You may think it sounds woo-woo and silly. Or you may want something far more intense. Or you may want something with a word involved in it. Whatever works for you. I've had the privilege of um, being coached periodically by a variety of people who do energy work and who do healing work and finding out their practices. And I'm big on mini practices. I like little bite-sized things that I can insert into my life that don't require massive change at one time because realistically, I'm not going to make a massive change at one time. And, yeah. and I have a lot going on already, so I want little things I can insert that are pluses in my day. And that's what I look for. You know, you, you do have a lot of going on, but you also have a lot of sharing going on in your life. You know, I, I think Ivan Meisner, CEO of BNI, he was on a while ago, and he said, you know, givers get. And I think you really understand that, you know, philosophy. Mentoring, you mentor, you teach, you travel, and you, and you share, you know, very thoughtful gifts with, with, you know, friends and family and people that, that you love. That is, um, and, and also Habitat for Humanity, the work that you do, you know, out in the community. You want to talk about what you do well, and why you do what you do? I think, I think that's really important. Um, I probably do less in the form of formal charity now than I do in the form of, I don't want to say general charity because that sounds very strange, but um, for example, I love to connect people. 
And one of the favorite things I'll do is just today, there were two or three design colleagues I ran across. Now, these are not people I know well. These are people that are working as designers for furniture companies because I was doing a little bit of design work. A longstanding client had called. And I know how tough the market is out there now. And I could see that both of the locations these folks were working were not doing well at all. Mm -hmm. And I shared with both of them that, please, let me know how can I serve your success. Please follow me in social media. I will connect you. Tell me what you're looking for in the way of an opportunity, and I'll do my very best to get you to a connection that can take you further. That's yeah. what I like to do. Because I'm a firm believer that everyone deserves to get their talents out into the workplace, the life place, embrace their passion, and be truly valued for that contribution. And so many in my field are not, but I've kind of taken that upon myself as my personal mission to show them the connections that can take their passion higher instead of them being stuck and frustrated, et cetera. And I do this with small business people in general. Um, it's mm -hmm. not just designers, but I'll do it with artists, with creatives. I'll go to an art show, like an art festival outside for a weekend, and I'll spend probably six, seven hours, but of those six or seven hours, I'll probably spend five or six 30-minute sessions with different artists sharing with them marketing ideas that would take their business to the next level because that's <laughs> what I like to do. And they, yeah, and they look at me like, well, the same this way. Is, <laughs> yeah, you know, and they'll, and they'll take notes and all that. And occasionally, if I remember with a friend of mine, I always warn my friends before they go with me, I said, I should warn you now, this is what I do. <laughs> you know? yeah, and yeah. they get the biggest kick out of it, but it really, I get such a charge when I'm able to create breakthroughs, spur the moment, spontaneous, and reinforce their talent and say, you are so talented. I can't do what you do. I can only connect you to others who can truly appreciate you. I hope you'll allow me to do that. And See, really I think that's like a mark of, 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 a, of a, a creator, a creative mind, an entrepreneur, a real entrepreneur. And, and you are not a coach by profession. You are a coach by virtue of just who you are. And I and I can see that because I, I you know, you look at a situation, oh, I can make that better. You know, I can make it better by connecting these people. I can make yeah. their lives better. I can make everybody's lives better by doing this. And it, it shows that, you know, a lot of people are afraid that it's going to take something away from them, that, you know, that, that if you give away these things that, that you're going to be losing mm. something. Where you're actually gaining, you're gaining more. Yeah, you know? yeah, you get you gain a lot more. It's really interesting. Um, I did a lot of teaching through Evening at Emory for about ten years. I was actually teaching three to four classes at any given time, three quarters a year. And one of the classes was a Saturday morning seminar type, uh, three hours, one shot deal every quarter, and it was called um, Interior Design as a Second Career. Do you have what it takes? And I always got tickled because every time it was a sellout, and I would have that everybody in the room was always so floored by the incredible depth of information I shared with them, including salaries, including compensation, including benefits, including challenges with clients, clients you want to fire, etc. There was nobody else will share this with us. I said, you know what? I'm not threatened by you. I yeah. want to see you succeed. I'm very comfortable in my own success. You're not a threat to me. I can support you, watch you go forward, and know that we're not competing. We're in the same industry. We have the same passion, but we have different skill sets, different talents, different personalities, different presentation styles, etc. And that was really, really important. And so many people get so cutthroat in their lives and so freaked by the competition that they cut themselves off from people who could really share valuable nuggets going forward. And, awesome. and it really is only by sharing and giving that we truly celebrate our talents, our passions, and our success. What would you say your, your design style is, Melissa? Oh, that's a dangerous and loaded question. Um, 
it's, it's probably, you know, I never advocate going from the negative, you. but there's, there's very little design-wise that I won't do, but there, there are two things I will not do. I do not do country, and I do not do Victorian, okay? Oh, that's now, funny. I love, I have about three other styles that I absolutely love. I love arts and crafts, mission style, absolutely makes perfect sense with the legacy I've got, that I, I love the geometry, I love the clean lines. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's very comfortable, very easy to live in, um, organic in quality, green friendly, all that sort of stuff. Then I love kind of an urban, sophisticated elegance that's not formal, mm-hmm. but it's, it's um, more in the kind of taupes and mushrooms and city grays and dusty tones. And then I have another side that's all bright, brilliant colors and patchwork and kickback, relax, and beachy look. So mm-hmm. it just, I really kind of swing with it. Um, I'm definitely more contemporary than I am traditional, but I could never call myself um, a full-blown contemporary because I'm not minimalist at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're not sterile. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I really like I like a, a lot of art in a, in, a, yeah. in an environment because I think art adds personality, art adds inspiration, and art is really and truly food for the soul. So, I agree with you ten hundred percent. I love art. Anybody, people walk in my home, there's just art everywhere, and and we love to pick up art from wherever we go. You know, um, you talk about in the book about the easiest ways to celebrate your home if you aren't a decorator, and and you know we've just finished renovating the kitchen, which was tons of fun. Um, it, you know, it, I love to decorate. I'm not a, I'm not a designer, but I love to decorate, and I and I do love to you know put my my stamp on things, if you will, and it, and it's just so much fun just to you know, and it just changes everything. All of a sudden, you know, it's like a new draft. It's everything. You feel different when you walk in the room. Now, here's the question, though. Have you had a kitchen warming? No. No, not yet. It's not, it's not 100% finished. Oh, you need a kitchen warming. <laughs> okay. And? It's, well, people have house warmings, and the problem yeah. is they never have them anymore because their house is never done. So I'm a big advocate of warmings by rooms. You have a kitchen warming when you finished a renovation of your kitchen. You have a bath warming when you finished a bath renovation. Um, once you complete your great room, you have a great room warming. Otherwise, if you wait for the whole house, it could be 10 years down the road. Yeah. And that would really be a shame because you would have missed all those amazing opportunities to celebrate each and every room with your friends. You know, when you do the bath warming, everybody brings a bath product. When you do a kitchen warming, everybody brings either something to munch on or they bring you an exotic ingredient or they bring you um, cookware or dishes or glassware or something fun for your kitchen. Well, that's really it's nice. a great way to do it. Yeah, it is it's a great nice. way to do it. And, and you get a whole lot more gifts that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Okay, hang on here. People are saying that one person said they can't hear me. Can any, if you're in the chat room and you can hear us, let me know, please. Because you will be able to hear this anyway after the fact. I don't know. He just said we just lost something. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna refresh for a moment here. Maybe it's the chat room and not and not anything else. But I know that everybody's gonna hear us. You, you know, yeah. And you get a lot of gifts. That's really great. And, and then you can take those gifts. And, you know, if you get duplicates, and you can and you can give them to places like, you know, Habitat or for Humanity or different places that that you know need need a little decor, a little lift for people. Because you know. Those, those or you'd be surprised if you look around your own life. I'm betting you've got friends who are far less fortunate, and they probably yeah. need those things just as much. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, it's it's a different world right now, isn't it, for everybody? And and it's, you know, you cannot it's, waste a single thing. Well, you know, the the lesson here though is. We should never waste a single thing. It doesn't matter what the times are, whether we're flying high or flying low. Yeah. To be, you know, it's waste not, want not. And Americans in general are incredibly wasteful, incredibly wasteful. You know, having had the privilege to travel overseas as much as I have, I've been to India, I've been to Africa, I've been to China. I've seen how other countries and cultures live and how, 
a majority of their population has nowhere near the standard that we have, nowhere near. And I'm not suggesting that we don't have homelessness and poverty. We absolutely do, but we hide it. We hide yeah. it really well, and we push it under the rug, and that's wrong. It's truly, truly wrong. I've seen it's a amazing. lot more come out of the closet lately because of what's happening now. It is amazing, yeah. and, it, and it needs yeah. to be brought to the front. You know, pride is something, <laughs> and and it's. What we'll get back to that in a second. When you were overseas, did you did you? We we just talked about this the other day about personal space because some, you know India and China they're so crowded mm. that people have a different perspective <laughs> of personal space, don't they? Yeah, and and it's interesting because they're used to living in a hundred square feet, but Americans are used to looking at thousands of square feet. Um, We have far larger personal space boundaries than any other culture, bar none, bar none. Um, It's interesting. But you know what, it's interesting because you can notice it here. If you just go to the grocery store or if you're standing in line at the post office and you notice people who are from other cultures, and, and visibly so, will stand so much closer to you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ooh, you know, and it's just yeah. the, it, it's the way Americans are, are, are raised. And, and even though we're a melting pot, we lose a lot of our cultural uniqueness, second and third and fourth generation. I was astounded, you know, going through, I mean, I live in Toronto, which is probably one of the most multicultural cities in, in the world. You know, there's at least mm-hmm. 90 different ethnicities with, you know, street signs in every language that you can think of. And we, you know, we just, we drove through uh, California. We, we we went through Montana and, and South Dakota. And when we got out there, out west, after you leave California, and you look out, and as far as the eye can see, there's nothing. There's no homes. There's nothing. There's land upon land upon land. And it's it's like... Where is everybody? You know, it's not built up at all, and it's wonderful to see. It's wonderful to see, and it's and it's so interesting that as you come back to the east, you know, people are living on top of each other again. But mm-hmm. out west, boy, the land was precious, and you know, you don't crowd your neighbor. No, you don't. But that's also where they're raising the food for a lot of us. Yeah. Well, and I did see a lot of that, you know. I, I mean, it was so wonderful to see. I mean, buffalo were walking down the street, and mountain goats were right there, and deer were everywhere, and antelope. The first time I saw an yeah. antelope, you know, in New Mexico, and, and it, you know, uh, it was like, wow, look at that, because you don't see those things yeah. here. No, you don't. You see cows no, and horses. Out on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But that was really great. Uh, you know, it's so much fun to be able to do that, and I, was, I feel very fortunate to have been able to do that. And see the country a little bit. It was it was it was great to go from New Mexico and Arizona, you know, the dry desert through to California and, and Utah and Idaho and all through there. So you have a wonderful country, and it, it really is quite beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But Americans, on on average, don't travel outside of their country. They don't even even when I talk to them that I'm from Canada, they you know do do you live in an igloo in the winter? Do you is it cold all the time? You know, <laughs> like. You know, I mean, the stuff that comes out of their oh, mouth is just no. outstanding. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, hello, I live right next door. That's <laughs> you know, embarrassing. We have the same weather. Yeah, an true. igloo. That's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. I, I, I think, yeah. You know, they have this idea that it's always frigidly cold and polar bears are walking around or something. I don't know. It's kind of funny. Mm. But, mm. but. I, I think that they need to travel a little bit more outside <laughs> outside the city, but uh, yeah, you know, travel is 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 tons of fun, and you have a great, you know, just a great advice for traveling about looking up what what the the uniqueness is of the city or the country that you're going to, and making sure that you bring that home, and not just going to where the tourists go, but finding those out of the way places. I mean, I love to do that, and we certainly make a point of doing that, and. Yeah, it, that is just wonderful advice for anybody who's going to go somewhere. Well, I grew up in a very multicultural environment at home. I mean, mother combined Persian rugs with Mexican case goods and Chinese opium beds as a sofa and a Greek flocati rug on the floor. So I was really accustomed to 
combining wonderful elements from all over the globe in one environment, and it had a profound impact on me. Um, I think it's fascinating to learn about other, other customs and cultures. I may not want to eat the same things they do or do the same things they do, but I love to learn about them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one, just to get back to some of the coaching stuff, your, your, your godmother, Edith Head, she said that you can be anyone you want to be if you just dress apart. Now, I've always said, you know, for people to, to put on the cloak of whatever it is that they want to do, to dress like, like a, if you want to be a journalist, then dress like one. Go out and look what they look like and then, you know, wear, wear their outfit and feel like one, walk like one, talk like one. I, did you get the, the sense that this is what she's talking about? I mean, I know that she was a designer, but for life, this is a, 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 um, a statement for, for life. You can be anyone that I you want to be. I think it was that, but it's, it's also um, that old adage that at least we have it here in the States where if you want the next position, dress for the one above it. Okay. You know, yeah. um, that's been very prevalent in corporate America, and it's, and it's really interesting because I think generationally speaking, my generation is one of the last to have done that because I have had some of the most outrageous experiences with interviewing interns from time to time who show up in all manner of garb that I would no more consider appropriate or professional than I would somebody who showed up in a baseball uniform. Um, yeah. But I think it's, what's fascinating to me is it's rather like travel now. I really wish that they would have minimum standards of flesh coverage required before you could fly on an airplane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people out there flying semi-naked, and I'm a little tired of it. So I'd, I'd love to see us return a little bit to celebrating our image and our style in a way that involves um, grace and care and really thought about what we're putting on our bodies instead of carelessness. And I think Aunt Edie would be slightly appalled right now if she were still with us by the lack of care that most people take with their appearance. And your image does make an enormous statement about you. I'm not suggesting that you put that in front of, you know, core values, but you have about seven seconds to make a first impression with anyone. And I don't but it should be a core value that I, have re- I respect well, myself in the way I look. It is. And the and way you I know, myself. what's funny is I made the statement on Twitter recently. I said, when you look good, it says that you care a lot about yourself. And I had one guy come back to me. Everybody else was like, yeah, 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 I agree, I agree. And one guy came back to me and he said, I can look really shocky and I still care about myself. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, okay. you know, you're, you're a little different. <laughs> yeah, you watch a different true. drummer. I think, it's you know, I, I've always thought, you know, to have one power suit, one, you know, red suit or something that makes you just feel so amazingly great when you go out to get a job you know, the things that you want to get. And and I think, you know, you would probably encourage people to have that too, wouldn't you? Something that makes them feel special. Oh, I absolutely special. would. I absolutely would. I think, I think it's important to have things in your wardrobe that really make you feel a certain way, and color can evoke emotional response, and color can even help your health. I mean, yeah. I, if I'm not feeling well when I wake up, I will deliberately put on red, even though I'm pulling on, I want the gray, because I'm not feeling well. And, and in, within a couple of hours, I'm feeling better because I'm wearing red, and it's boosting my immune system, and it's raising my heart rate, and it's pepping me up. So, I feel you know, the same there's way a lot it. to be said yeah. for, for color psychology. Well, you would know that, especially as a designer. And but that you segued into something that you shared a personal story with me. You said that you were diagnosed with long-term depression. And I really want to thank you for bringing that, you know, allowing me to bring it out into the open and for you being so open with it. You, and, you know, your word choice was you don't struggle with it. You see it as an opportunity to manage something every day, which says so much about who you are. Can you, can you talk a little bit about your depression and how it manifests itself in your life? Like what, what, is, what do you have to go through on a daily or once-in-a-while basis with it? Um, I didn't get the diagnosis till I was in my late 30s. And when I got the diagnosis, it actually was the most liberating experience I've ever had because I had been through literally a 20-plus year roller coaster emotionally that was incredibly painful. 
and I didn't know why. I thought I was a kind of a crazy person at times, and it was very, very difficult. And the moment I got the diagnosis, I suddenly realized I'd been given a gift, and this was something I could manage. I was offered and encouraged to take medication. I refused it um, because I felt that medication didn't treat the core issue. It only treated the symptoms. Um, I had some very, very dark experiences. Um, one of these days I will write a short book about it because I know a lot about depression now. I know a lot about it from the inside. And I can help a lot of people who want to help others who have it because there's not a lot they can do, and they need to realize that. Um, but I basically I found that when I start going into those downward spiral self-talk circles, because that's a lot of it for me. I start getting discouraged. I don't have anyone to turn to. I will do anything. I will go for a walk. I will read a book. I will watch a movie. Um, I will call a friend. I will do anything to get out of where my mind is taking me. And that is incredibly important. I will create a distraction for my mind, in other words. Yeah, um, yeah. Generally, I don't want to discuss it with anybody. So when I call a friend, I'm not trying to discuss me and how I'm feeling. I'm trying to find out about what's going on in their life. Mm-hmm. And I need to get – depression is very self-focused. Um, a lot of people are fond of saying it's selfish. Well, you know what, maybe it is. But it's not an intentional selfishness. And I think what's important is when somebody is feeling depressed, just distract them. Take them to lunch. Invite them to a movie. And if they say no, you know what, show up at their doorstep anyway. And say, you know what? don't tell them to get over it. No, don't tell them to get over it. And and don't try and dive into it with them because you know what? It's really none of your business. As much as you care and love them, it's none of your business. They have to go through it themselves. When they're ready to get help, they'll get help. And if they're not ready and you push them, it's going to send them the wrong direction. I know a lot about that, and I don't advocate it. But I think a little just friendly distraction, friendly intervention in terms of, hey, let's go do something. Action of any sort is the best cure for depression. It absolutely yeah, I do watch really my diet. It's hard to be depressed and walk fast. <laughs> it is. I think Wayne Dyer said this time into after time, you cannot be active and be depressed. Now, you know, the, actually the time I was more intensely depressed than any other time, I lost a lot of weight because I was walking constantly. I would come back in from one walk and I would still not be feeling good and I would go right back out on another walk. Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. Um, but it really, that, I do watch my diet very closely. Um, I can get badly tilted by sugar intake, and I okay. love sweets. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I watch certain things like that. I watch what, what are my triggers. You know, I'm aware of them now, and I will back very fast away from those triggers. And if there are certain people that trigger me, which every once in a while you get those toxic people in your life, I make right. sure I let them out of my life. Good. You know, I just, they're not for me. Well, it, you know, it really sounds like you care about yourself, and that's really important. Because a lot of times people who are depressed don't care about, you know, themselves at all. And, and you're taking all the right steps and all the right moves to, um, to look after yourself. And, and a lot of that is helping other people. I think it's always, you know, when you can help other people, you help yourself. And it does get your mind off you when you're helping other people with their problems and, and trials and tribulations in their lives. So, it's, 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 you know, it's a win-win, really. It's, um, it's a lesson gratitude. Yeah. Yep. Love, support, and understanding are the most important thing you can do for a loved one going through depression. That's from mm-hmm. John in, in the chat room. Thanks for, for sharing that, John. I think you're right. Uh, be there when they need you. Encourage them when they make an effort to deal with it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just tell somebody to get over it because it, it, it's not something, like you said, it's a selfishness that, that isn't um, desired. It's not something that you can help. It's, mm-hmm. So it's absolutely right. Thanks for sharing in there. Appreciate that, everybody. You, you, you wrote this amazing book, Celebrate Your Life. Your life is about celebration. 
you, you understand that you have to live in the moment because, boy, you may not be here in five minutes from now. It's like living in the mm-hmm. now. Did, did, you, did you read Eckhart Tolle's book on living in the, you know, the power of now? Did, did you ever read that? Or, um, you know, I have to confess to you, I've actually listened to about half of it on CD, and I couldn't quite get it finished. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> It was funny. I was on the airplane, and, and there was this woman, and I have to say she was like the biggest B-I-T-C-H I've ever encountered. And, and I looked down, and she was reading the book, The Power of Nice. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, the plane took a dip, and I put my, and, you know, I reached out to put my head on, on the seat, and she just like, man, if looks could kill, I'd be dead today. But I thought, that is just too funny. <laughs> You know, lighten up, people. <laughs> it's not exactly. gonna kill you. Talk about personal space, I guess, right? Um, one, of, one of the yeah, this is an interesting one. Let's just we got just like five minutes left. You, how can we celebrate our five senses? Can, can you share that with us? That'll probably take us to the end of time here. Yeah, it's really important. Again, this goes back to self care, and it goes back to your health, and it's truly and really about taking care of the senses that you have. Go get your eyes checked. I had mine checked for the first time in 30 years in the last wow. month. And, and I'm now the proud owner of two very snappy pair of glasses, which I have not worn yet. <laughs> <laughs> You're just waiting for the right outfit. Still finding it, you know. Um, it's, you know, go get your hearing checked. We, we always, as kids, we do this, and as parents for our children, we do this, and as parents with aging parents, we do this. Yeah. But you know what? We don't do it for ourselves. That's right. And there's so yeah. many things you can save off when you take proper care of yourself. It's just about stepping up and putting you first. Because the challenge is when you don't take care of you and you neglect your senses, Ultimately, you're not going to be there and neither will your senses for those people that you care most about in your life. Really good so advice. You you do need to you need to get your eyes checked, get your get your ears checked, you know, keep up with the dentist visits. My dentist told me today, I went to see him this morning and he said, Melissa, I have to tell you that your gum health looks the best I've seen it in ten years. I was like, woohoo! <laughs> yeah, because it's only like teeth that's going to make you unhealthy. I mean, it, it can trouble everything, every system in your body. It you can, and it, and it, and it's really and truly one of those kind of red flags that they look for. If you've got problems with your teeth, it means you're having problems with your heart. It means you're having problems with your lungs. It means you're having a problem with your spleen. You know, yeah, so you want to pay attention. Um, by the same token, we don't touch very often anymore we are so busy texting and punching computer buttons and doorknobs and steering wheels we've lost the art of touching one another physically and that kinesthetic sense is vital to our good health so it's like that movement hug a person today hug Mm -hmm. six people today you know Make hugging a part of daily life. No, you don't have to go hugging strangers. and that, that may or may not work for you. But I would certainly advocate that people do a lot more hugging at home than they're doing now. I agree with you. you know, and I, and I was, uh, My mother's passed away now, but I remember looking at her walk down the street one day, and she, she wasn't very demonstrative physically, and I'm a you know, very physically demonstrative person, very affectionate. And I thought, wow, you know, I wonder how long it's been since somebody – actually hugged her. And so I imagine there's a lot of seniors who are, live alone and, and are lonely and are never touched. And it's, to me, like, it's so yeah. sad. That's why they do pet therapy, because the pets yeah. stand in place of the hugs that aren't happening. And it's not just seniors. It's not just seniors at all. You'd be amazed at the number of single people out there who, you know, they're not dating anybody. They don't have family close by. Who's going to be hugging them? Yeah, and kids. I mean, hug your children. Yeah. Yeah, hug your children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the kinesthetic is very, very important. It truly is. Great point. So the senses have to be taken care of. 
So, Melissa, where can people get your book, your your website? Um, you can get it at the website, melissagalt.com. They can get it at amazon.com. And they can get it at www.theartofcelebrating.com. Um, all of them have the book. And if they come through my website, I will make sure it is a personally signed copy to them. And I'm delighted to do that because I really do want people to get out there and celebrate their lives each and every day, embracing every moment. I know that you're on Twitter and on Facebook, so people should connect with you there as well, and they'll get lots yes, of great advice please. daily, sometimes a couple please, times I'm a day. on Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> and LinkedIn. There we go. We're out of time. Thank you so much for being my guest. It was really delightful to have you, and I'm sorry about the, the little bit of a rough start, but it was, it was great. My pleasure, Frankie. You've been a delight. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. I'll see you next week. Same time, same channel. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Support for this podcast and the following messages comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, proud to support the many Texas businesses who make safety their number one priority in the workplace. More information about safety-focused workers' comp available at WorkSafeTexas.com.